You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Welcome back to Thunder Quack Perfect 10. I am your host, Michael Cohen. Every episode, we dive deep with a special guest into a piece of pop culture they adore. What is a Perfect 10? I'm glad you asked. A Perfect 10 is a piece of pop culture media we love unconditionally. Is it objectively a 10 out of 10? Not necessarily, but to our guest, it's a masterpiece. So sit back, get comfy, and let's find some joy talking John Mayer's 2006 album, Continuum, with Carl LeClaire. Carl, welcome to the show. Mike, it's always great to be with you, my friend. I I mean, likewise. I uh, we, we don't do this nearly often enough. Um, and I think that that's mostly just our schedules. But when we do manage to yeah. carve out the time. We live and, on the ends of the continent, so it is yeah. a bit tough. Yeah, yeah. When we do manage to, to get together, it is always, always a good time. So uh, this is exciting. This is this isn't the first album we've talked about. Our second episode was about uh, the the uh, Transformers, the movie, the soundtrack uh, w- with uh, uh, Tyler James Nichol. But I uh, but but this is that was like a movie soundtrack that was very much tied into a conversation about Transformers and, and, and you know, the animated movie in the 80s and all of that sort of thing. This is the first like just pure music episode. So um, so that's a, that, it's it's cool to 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 be breaking that ground with you um, when there are so many geeky things we could have talked about. We tossed around a bunch of stuff, but I. Uh, but but we ended up landing landing on this, uh, which is fun. That's uh, it's it's a it's a cool I don't know fun fact I guess. Yeah, uh, I mean, I'm also looking forward to it too because you know uh, over you know on our our Star Wars show that I do with Jason on Wampusler, we do almost every May we do almost the whole month dedicated just to the music of Star Wars. So I love yeah. talking about music while I have no formal training in it. <laughs> uh, very much an amateur in the one instrument that I play. Um, but, uh, I've always loved talking about music and it's in with star Wars, right? It's such narrative pieces too, that it's, I almost feel like you can talk about it in a particular way. Um, but with something like pop music that are, you know, full of lyrics and all sorts of stuff, like it's telling a story. Um, I think it's, I'm excited to talk about music from a very different angle. So, um, yeah, saying that up front, like, you know, if you were tuning in be like, oh, man, this guy. Wow. Cool. Did he like get his degree at Berkeley? He sure didn't. Um, but uh, I just love music and I'm looking forward to talking about it, Mike. Yeah, totally. Um, awesome. Well, before we get too deep into it, I'm going to just give everybody the breakdown of uh, of exactly what Continuum is. So uh, so without further ado, I'm going to jump into that. Uh, Today, we're diving into the musical mastery of soft rock icon John Mayer and his timeless album, Continuum. Released in 2006, this album hit at the peak of Mayer's popularity, with music journalist Matt Collar calling it a gorgeously produced, brilliantly stripped to basics album that incorporates blues, soft funk, R&B, folk, and pop in a sound that is totally owned by Mayer. 
Uh, Mayer, both a gifted guitarist and a poetic lyricist, pours his heart and soul into Continuum, from the sultry grooves of gravity to the introspective depth of slow dancing in a burning room. Each track is a brushstroke on the canvas of contemporary blues. The album isn't just a collection of songs. It's a reflection on love, introspection, and the ebb and flow of life. Whether you're a longtime Mayer fan or discovering Continuum for the first time, get ready for a perfect 10 experience that transcends the notes on the staff. Uh, yeah, it, it, John Mayer is is possibly, I, I guess he's technically my favorite sort of um, I, like singer, songwriter, musician type type of music most of, you and me like like you just mentioned with wampus layer we listen to a lot of soundtracks right we listen to a lot yeah. of star wars music a lot of that sort of thing but i uh, but john mayer is if i'm if i'm going to something that's that's got lyrics john mayer is usually at the top of that um and i've been a john mayer fan for a really long time but um but if i recall correctly you you came to john mayer a lot more recently right oh yeah yeah like during the pandemic Okay. So very recently. That's, very that's, recently. that's really interesting. What's, yeah. um, what, what brought you to John Mayer? Uh, a, a former partner. <laughs> um, okay. she, she was a huge John Mayer fan. We both loved listening to, uh, albums, uh, like, like vinyl records, right? Like that's, it's yeah. all the rage right again right now, which is really cool. Um, but yeah, she, she had like a John Mayer album uh, and she was like, Oh, I'm going to throw this on sometime. And I was like, okay. I, I'm not necessarily a fan, right? Because he, he's obviously had some contentious history. Um, you know, he's an imperfect person like everyone. Um, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's made some mistakes, right? And that's kind of all I really knew about him other than Your Body is a Wonderland, which I thought was a fun little pop song. Um, so I just never was had any interest in him. And then she just threw his album on one day while we were making dinner. And I'm like, oh my God, this guy is incredible. Um, and then after we broke up, like right as we broke up, sob rock came out, which was like the perfect healing piece. It was like, John knew we were breaking up. <laughs> so like that just endeared me to him right away. And then I finally started going back, listening through his discography and getting them on albums. Um, and that's, you know, I can't remember exactly the first time listening to continuum. Um, but, uh, it wasn't that first album she put on, uh, it was the search for everything, which is a phenomenal album as well. Um, but yeah, I remember just like, oh, it, it, it hit me so well. It hit me so well. Um, I mean, my longest running favorite artist of all time is Rob Thomas, who's the lead singer of Matchbox 20, but has also had an incredible solo career. He's always been my go-to singer-songwriter. But then as I listened through John's discography, I'm just like, oh man, I think I might have a new favorite, which was really hard to admit. Mm. <laughs> um, but I just, he is an incredibly gifted songwriter in every sense of the word i mean he has a he has a message to say he has every single song with lyrics he's telling you something like he he's really not afraid to dig out what's deep no matter how ugly it is i love that about him um and he is arguably the greatest guitar player of our generation um, obviously statements like that are always subjective there there's no objective way to define something that's so artistic um, but that said, I mean, he is talked about in the same breath as Eric Clapton, um, Stevie Ray Vaughan, you know, all the greats like John Mayer yeah. is listed among them. And I think this is the first album where he really showcases that because his his previous albums were much more like pop rock, um, kind of like he was in high school, essentially. Right. You're getting high school pop rock. It's it's very catchy. But with Continuum, he really showed you um, obviously what he learned while he was at Berkeley. 
um, and just the gifts and talents that he had. Like, I think that's really where he made a statement as, hey, I'm a great guitar player, first and foremost. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I anybody who's had the privilege of, of, of seeing him play live, which I have mm-hmm. now twice, um, that, that first concert that I got to go see him, it was in 2006. Um, and I, I, it, or actually maybe it was 2007, maybe it was 2007. Yeah, I guess it was 2007, but I, I, he, we, Crystal and I bought these tickets like literally last minute. Um, we bought the tickets, I think probably about two hours before the concert. Um, cause I didn't even, cause this is, we're talking about, this is sort of like early internet days, right? Like, um, so I, there was no real way to know unless you knew. And, uh, and I happened to pick up, a, a while we were out that day, um, she, she was living in Victoria, which is a ferry ride and about, you know, three hours away from, from where we live now, or when, which is where I was living at the time, um, in Vancouver. I, I, she was going to school there and we would go back and forth or whatever. And so she was over for the weekend and she, I, I, we had, we, we'd gone to Granville Island for the, for the afternoon. And there's a, there's a, a local newspaper, sort of like the, like hipster, um, cool people newspaper called the Georgia Strait. I don't know if it's that anymore, but it definitely was that at the time in 2006, seven around that era. And I, we, I just picked it up and, and we were just looking through it. And I think we were planning to maybe like go see a movie that night or something. And so we were, I was flipping through the entertainment section and it was like, oh, John Mayer's in town this weekend. He's playing tonight. And then we like we literally like hopped online um, at a computer. It had to be a desktop. Couldn't do it on your phone. Um, hopped online and looked to see if there were tickets available. And there were. And they were floor seats for like. 30 bucks each. It was crazy. So we got those tickets and, um, and, and, and I like, I got to watch him play from, you know, I don't know, like 15 feet away. (laughs) Like, like I could, I could see his fingers moving (laughs) on, on the guitar. Right. Like, like it was unbelievable. This most recent time that we saw him, which was just back this, uh, 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 last spring in, in 2023 um or was it the spring or the fall i can't remember whenever he was in town it feels like forever now. it was a full year tour because it was the, you did the sob yeah. tour, right uh well no it's the the, the one that used it was solo um well you did the unplugged one okay yeah um and that one where we were at we were at rogers arena and we were in the nosebleeds and you could barely see him okay. but uh, i and you could barely hear him over the drunk girl behind me that uh yeah that's a whole other story but that that first that first <laughs> concert was unbelievable um because yeah, it, it was this album and i i mean like he was playing everything right but but the focus was kind of this album and um and try the john mayer trio album because um, oh, okay. he was because he was touring with with those guys at the time um, yeah. uh, along with his band and uh yeah it was it, it was phenomenal seeing him play live is so so awesome he's uh, also hilarious um, yes he's quite the show like he's quite the showman i mean yeah. i've only seen him the one time i went to the sob rock tour in the spring of 2021 i think it was mm-hmm. um 
and uh, we actually got I went with two of my good friends. We got really great seats. Uh, we were probably 50 yards from him. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I love Sobrock and he did a lot of this as well. And just listening to him in between songs, too. I'm like, oh, my God, this guy's yeah. really funny. <laughs> so. Yeah, he is. He is. He's just a great entertainer, like from top to bottom. Right. Um, yeah. I, he's, he was also like during the pandemic, very funny on on his social media as he was sort of like in isolation trying to yeah. not go crazy. Um, um, remember like, how we did uh, they sent out uh, like a bunch of celebrities were singing on um, John Lennon's Imagine. Yeah. Yeah, he thought it was for Ariana Grande song, so they cut in John Mayer doing an Ariana Grande song during the Imagine because he sent in the wrong stuff. It's that's so hilarious. funny. That's hilarious. Uh, uh, yeah. Anyway, um, we should talk what, more Continuum. Yeah, yeah. What what made you what made you pick Continuum out of all of the the albums? Like, why does this one stand out for you? I mean, it was my Empire Strikes Back album. It was the first one. Well, I. Hmm, that's not fair because that wasn't the first one I heard in its entirety, <laughs> but, I, but it was the first one that grabbed me. Um, yeah. It just like from start to finish, the entire album was such an awesome ride. Like it was consistent, you know, it had a great build, a great finale. Like it was a well-written album and mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, it's slow dancing in a burning room. I'd heard that song, you know, years ago when it came out. But when I heard it again, it's just that guitar, like the, the riff he is playing, the the way it's so steeped in, in uh, like soul and blues. I mean, it's it just grabs you and pulls you right in. And then the rest of the album, I think, just is built around like this really really intense core. Um, so yeah, it's it's so, it's just so darn good. Yeah, yeah, it is it is a really good album. But I I I find that it was. Um, it was a bit of a departure, right? Like, cause, cause he had started in sort of those, those really sort of pop, um, uh, ballad and, and sort of soft rock, uh, uh, albums like his early, or his two earlier albums. Right. So right. much of that stuff, which is how he got the fame that he did was through that stuff. Like you mentioned, your body is a wonderland and, and, um, I, you know, a, actually there's really not that many songs off of room for squares that that went big but uh um but you know his his music was the type of music that you would see featured on an episode of smallville or the oc or something like that right mm, yeah, yeah um like it was that sort of you know uh, uh last five minutes of the episode as everything sort of over a musical montage right um but then with this album it felt like um it really felt like he had something a little bit more to say i i it's funny because i haven't listened to it front to back in a long time and then just before we recorded i i did listen to it from start to finish and it really like it's got a through line it's got it's it has a couple of through lines but one of the big ones is i mean like contextually you have to place it in 2006 right like we're uh sort of in the in the we're in the middle of bush's second term right um so that means that we're in the middle of of dealing with uh 
wars in the Middle East that most people really didn't want to be a part of anymore. Um, the 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 9-11 fervor had died down by that point and people had started to realize like, oh, this has been this has been weaponized like our our our, you know, uh, communal uh, outrage from 9-11 was weaponized and used as a, a, a means to start a war in Iraq. Right. Um, and so the album, like it kind of gets into that without getting into it specifically, but it does get into it. Yeah. Um, that's one of my favorite things about the album is, is I would say the album is essentially a collection of two types of songs. Um, and one collection of that is it's a political, like he has some political statements to make. Yeah. Um, you know, um, waiting on the world to change is kind of this anthem piece and every everybody our age loved that song in 2006 um, yeah. but then the song belief is a much more critical look at what was energizing and 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 weaponizing this war right like really yeah. looking at kind of this fundamentalism within religion um, both at home and abroad right um, and it's a really really intelligent critique of that sort of stuff but then the I feel like a lot but then the emotional pieces which is the majority of the album yeah it's really a lot to me, like the self-reflection going on is this is John Mayer contending with, Oh my gosh, I'm famous now. Right. Like he's, you know, he's in his like late twenties. Like he's a young person who's now really, really famous. Right. And we've heard this story, you know, for generations across all sorts of artists. So it's not saying that it's new, but it's his take on that though. Like a lot of the songs are like, he's been in the media now, you know, he's, he's, he's kind of contending with, Oh man, there's things about me that I'm not proud of, but now people are going to see them. Um, like it's a really honest album, and 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 I appreciate that like that kind of um, tension and struggle he's talking about in so many of the tracks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's also it's also sort of the first time that that uh, that that blues and soul um aspect of it really really starts to take center stage in his Mm -hmm. music before that it was very very pop centered um and then and then he sort of started to take a little bit more of this uh uh, blues and soul little maybe a little bit of r&b um there's i i feel like he's always had a lot of funk in there because of the 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 focus on guitar right that's just sort of his his guitar style is very um it's very pop funk uh, well, I will, inspired, yeah, but you know, I want to just uh, dive in quick with um, like yeah. I really agree with you know these these first couple albums, you know, Room for Squares and heavier things. They're they're very much pop albums for the most part. Mm-hmm. Now that said, I don't know them as well as the rest of his discography after Continuum, so I'm not as much uh, an expert on those. But I will say, in light of all that popdom he's writing. Uh, he still gives us the song Neon, which is arguably one of the coolest guitar riffs <laughs> written in like the last 50 years. Um, so beyond that song, you know, like he's not he's not really stepping into that guitar superstar until Continuum, in, in my opinion. Um, yeah, yeah, it's it, um, it's funny. It's it's one of those things that like like and again when you see him play live it's like he'll he'll add solos where there are not solos um so so he gets into a little bit more of it but yeah it's it it is it is i think really try when he kind of starts to show off a little bit um and and when people started to recognize like oh oh he's not just 
a, a, a pop star, right? Like he's not just right. a, you know, a, a teen beat heartthrob. Um, but he yeah. actually does have these chops. Um, there's a little bit of it, I think on, on continuum as well that, that comes through, but try is when like he, you know, I mean, be, being that it was a, it, it's a, it's a trio, right? So everybody yeah. gets you know, to kind of get their moments on it, but yeah. Yeah. That's, you know, that's what, that is definitely one of my John Mayer blind spots. I've, I've, I've heard bits of the John Mayer trio, but I've never actually sat down and listened to them as yeah. albums. I really need to get on that. Yeah, I mean it's it's um the the thing the thing with those albums is that they are a departure and that's why it's you know it's it's not just him, right? And then there's also uh it's it's a lot more covers. It's a lot more um sort of uh, uh him pulling in some standards and that sort of thing. Um in order to, you know, sort of live that jazz trio. Uh, yeah. I, I, I sort of vibe um, although there, I mean, there's a, there's a, a, a cover on this one as well. Cause he does a, a cover of the, of Jimi Hendrix bold as love. Right. Um, on, on oh. continuum. Yeah. Which is, you know, that's funny. Yeah, I, forgot that, I forgot that that's a cover and it's actually the only song on the album. I don't particularly care. Like I don't dislike it, but it's the only one yeah. where I'm like, that's, that's the one song that I don't care about. <laughs> It's it's funny because I feel I feel pretty similarly where it's like I kind of take it or leave it. It's yeah. it, and I think the reason for that is that it it is such a departure from uh from his style of of lyric, right? Like it's yeah. it's um you get into it and it's like in two thousand and six these lyrics are a little bit I don't want to say hacky because I don't want to like I don't want to sound like I'm coming down on Jimi Hendrix, but um in the in the 70s like 60s 70s i don't know when boldest love was originally released but because i don't Hmm. know Jimi hendrix that well but um but like you're like it's the the lyrics are much more of that time so it does feel disjointed from the rest of the album because it is sort of this more dated like you know it's the like the thing of like the colors being emotions and stuff like that which all feels very sort of um like elementary to me you know what i mean like it's it's just a it's not it's not quite as complex as his lyrics usually are uh which which to me like for me that's that's where um and people give me flack for being a john mayer fan and i'll be like whatever man like it's like i don't care like you can paint me as whatever it's the most it's funny it you know we're two white guys on a podcast talking about john mayer um (laughs) it's it's is 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 pretty white um you know hard h white um but i i but one of the reasons why i do like john mayer so much is because i do really really like get into his lyrics and and you know what these like like the various sort of themes and that sort of thing that Mm -hmm. are sort of interwoven throughout his stuff um so that's one of those ones when he does covers, it does tend to, I don't know. They I kind of tend to roll off of them a little bit more because it's not, it's not him. Right. He's right. just kind of yeah. performing something that he likes. Um, yeah. I mean, obviously free fallen is a popular one that he covers in a yeah. lot of shows and um, yeah. like it's on that great um, live album that actually came out shortly after continuum. Um, that's a, it's a great album. Got to recommend yeah. that one. Um but that said, you know, Free Fallen is, and when I saw him live, you know, a couple of years back, he he did that as well. And it's like, that's a song, again, when it's on the album, it's like, I can skip it. Like, 
but yeah. it was really fun live, right? Like it's a it's a very popular older song that everybody knows the words to. It's sing it's easy to sing along to. Like it's it's a perfect live cover. Um Yeah, totally. So totally. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's definitely part of like so a lot of that stuff, a lot of the covers and stuff like that, I feel like are 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 better experienced live and as, you know, sort of uh, part of the communal experience. I don't know. I, I have a, I have a funny sort of, uh, relationship with live performance because especially like I, I haven't been to that many concerts, but the ones that I have been to two of them being John Mayer ones, it's like, I, I really want to go and listen to the music. <laughs> mm. Um, and especially with that, the last one that I went to when I went and saw him uh, do solo. Right. Uh, for those that don't know, the the purpose of that tour was that, like Carl mentioned, is sort of like an unplugged uh, uh, performance. But it's it's just him, um, no backup, no band uh, or anything like that. So he was just coming out and doing. Uh, he would either be on the piano or the guitar, and uh, and 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 doing his thing. Um, and uh and and it was it was fantastic it was amazing unfortunately like i mentioned before there was a drunk woman behind me just like screaming the songs mm. um and she was directly behind me like i mean like directly behind me and she was like leaning forward in her seat scream singing the songs completely out of tune and it was like i cannot hear the music um and sure. and and at a certain point i had to turn around and be like hey can you just like like I, I know you're having a good time and we're all here for the same reason but can you just like bring it down a little i i and and she just like as a drunk person is wont to do just got like belligerent with me and mm. just got worse and worse and worse until like me and like three other people around her were all like knock it off and then she got in a fight with her boyfriend and uh and 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 they got up and left for a while and then they came back uh and they and she sang one more song and then i i and then i and i was like come on man like it was it oh what what song was it i think it was during you know what it's funny it's off this off this album because it was stop this train which is like such a meaningful song mm -hmm. and and he was playing it on the piano and it was just like this beautiful performance of it. And then she, that was when she came back, like in the middle of that song. And like, I was fine. It was, it was like, oh my God, thank goodness she's gone now. Cause like, he's getting into the more like mellow stuff and like sort of the second half of the, of the, the concert. And then she came back, she sat back down and then he started playing something off of born and raised, which is my favorite album. And he hadn't played anything off of that album at that point. And I turned to her, I was like, Hey, this is like one of my favorite songs. Can you just not for this one? And she lost it. She lost it and they ended up leaving. And then I found out later from her friend that's that stayed that they like her and her boyfriend like broke up <laughs> because of this, because, because like everybody around us was like, was like mad at her. Right. Like it wasn't just me. I was just, I, I was that guy that was vocal about it, but um but uh yeah like like everybody was kind of like it was one of those moments like it didn't literally happen but it, you could kind of feel it of like when they got up and left the first time it was people almost like clapped <laughs> of like yeah you're leaving um but yeah it was, it was such an ordeal so it's like that sort of thing always like kind of ruins my 
my experience at a live performance. I, I, yeah, you know, that's valid, right? Like, and that's the thing is, is like, I mean, you and I, Mike, we're in the same similar, for the most part, like socioeconomic standings. And yeah. I don't, I mean, I don't have a ton of money where I can go to concerts a lot throughout the year. Yeah. Like, bigger yeah. name folks, right? Like it's obviously always easy if you want to go to local shows, but, you know, bigger names, like I'm going to maybe go to one or two a year. And that's also just my own tolerance with crowds. Cause like I, as I've gotten older, I just, I get really, really anxious. Yeah. Crowds. So if yeah. I'm going to do this, right. Like it's like, all right, I'm going to spend my money and I'm going to spend my time. And to, to John's credit, uh, like I mentioned earlier, I love Rob Thomas. Rob Thomas always does this as well as like these artists are like really, really appreciative of the fact that you're giving those things to them, right? Like you took this time, you took this money to invest in me. I really want to give you a great experience. And that's what they always are trying to give to you. But it sucks when you're like around somebody who just is so selfishly not (laughs) self-aware that they, they, they ruin your experience, right? Cause music live when it is, when it hits, I've, I'm lucky. I've never actually had that sort of experience at a big concert. Um, and, and as a result, like I get to enter into kind of that, that, that sacred moment of what live concerts are about, right? It's about bringing these people together who find connection to these, to these words, to the message that he has to say, and want to like feel the sound of his music, like wash over you together. And yeah, yeah. um, that's what it can be. It's, it's, Oh, it's so funny because, because what, what I, the, the, the silver lining in that experience is that, um, so we're Crystal and I, it's like just the two of us went because the girls don't care about John Mayer. So there's just the two of us date night or whatever. Right. And, um, there was a, there was a family sitting next to us in our row, like, like, I, I, to the aisle. So there were four of them. It was a, a dad, mom, and, and two older kids, like, like older teenagers, probably around like, like 14 to 17 sort of. Um, and so like, it's like their, their, their family outing thing. And it turned out that like, they had driven all of the way from Alberta from, from, I think Calgary, uh, which is like a day and a half drive through the mountains. Uh, not, not an easy drive, but, um, John had not come to Vancouver in like, since that previous, like the reason why I've only been to two John Mayer concerts is because since I've been a John Mayer fan, he has only been to Vancouver twice, Hmm. um, uh, that I know of, maybe, maybe he had come before that, like with, with the previous albums, but like, this was the first time that he'd been back in like forever. Right like 15 years or something like that i can't remember what it was but like forever and this this the dad of this other family was like us like a a huge fan so they had he had like dragged his family out to vancouver from calgary they drove all the way out and they did some other stuff and they enjoyed the city or whatever but the main reason that they were in town was for this concert and so like when i told this girl to be quiet (laughs) he was like thank you (laughs) like because because it was really because it was really taking away from the experience for him as well and it was this thing of like like it was this such a big deal mike Um, not all not all heroes wear capes mike yeah yeah you know some of them them are just willing to speak up (laughs) but i i but yeah i mean like one one of the one of the, the funniest parts of the whole thing is that like so after they left the second time and we talked to the her the, it was like the girl and her boyfriend left and they were with this other, this other woman. And, um, 
I had ended up because I felt bad, right? Like I like this was not my goal. I just wanted her to be quiet. I didn't want them to like have a bad time, right? I was just like, can you please, please, please just stop screaming in my ear? Um, and so I turned around to apologize to her friend of like, hey, I'm sorry if this is like wrecked your night. Like that's not my goal. And she she was like, I totally understand they do this all the time like because they had ended up like started fighting and bickering and stuff in the in in the like behind us um she's like they do this all the time and i'm like i i just can't understand why somebody would pay money to come to like pay like pay so much money to come to a concert as you're saying like like for us it's like you get to go to something like that once in a while right um and she was like well like i paid for it <laughs> And I was like, oh, I feel even worse now because <laughs> she had paid for all three of them. Oh, man. And then her friends basically were like getting themselves kicked out. <laughs> right. Oh, and had like ruined it for her. So I felt so bad for her. Of Like she dropped a lot of money because I think it even for like those nosebleed seats, I think it was somewhere around, you know how it is with like the ticket master fees and. Oh, yeah. And yeah. like, oh, it's a venue fee. And like, it's like, oh, my God, like at the end of the day, it's like a $40 ticket costs you like 80 bucks. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Um, so it, like she had shelled that out three times over and I uh, like to, to bring her friends with her. Um, and I was just like, Oh man, that sucks. That really sucks. Yeah. But, uh, but I don't know, you know, you choose, choose better friends to go to concerts with, <laughs> yeah. but or, or, yeah. yeah, or figure out how to go alone, you know? <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the, you know, you saying that he's only been to Vancouver twice now in not a long time. Yeah. I mean, I'm in Boston, which is great because he loves Berkeley and he occasionally yeah. comes back and even teaches a class at Berkeley. So he's in Boston pretty regularly, which is pretty oh, nice. awesome. Um, and he's very popular here. I mean, he's from, yeah. New, he's, he's from Connecticut. Like, yeah. you know, people of New England love, like, not all of them, but like he's pretty popular from coming from here, and just like Chris Evans, like Chris Levin, Chris Evans is really liked out here because <laughs> he's yeah. from just outside Boston. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, um, we kind of we kind of get the short shrift in Vancouver because we're so close to Seattle, so a uh, lot of yeah. a lot of artists will come to Seattle, but then it's like, well, it's not worth the hassle of crossing the border just to go to Vancouver because also like the other thing about Vancouver is that like our venues only have so much capacity anyways so like here's an example taylor swift she is finally got like like they finally announced that she's coming here but like she did her whole north american eras tour without coming to vancouver and then is doing the international tour and then after all of that next year she'll be here or maybe it's or no, I guess it is next year now. It's 2024 now. So like the end of this year, like in, in like December of this year, she'll be here after she's like basically been everywhere else in the world. It's like, yeah, I guess I'll go to Vancouver. And the reason why is because like she, she sold out every night that she's here. Right. Like it's sure. like, like the tickets went in 15 minutes, but the venue is so small that like, like even if she plays like the the place with the largest capacity, it's nothing compared to the stadiums that you guys have down there. Because we just, we don't have like we've got the Canucks, and then like we don't have an NFL team, right? So we don't have like an, an NFL stadium yeah. to sell out. Um, That's a good point. So so a lot of them kind of just skip over us, and and but they will they will 
go to Calgary or Edmonton and they'll go to Toronto because Toronto has bigger venues, but, but yeah, it's uh it's, it's, it's one of those things. So it's, it's always been one of those things of like, do we go down to Seattle? Like, you know, um, but I, I, it just, it's just never worked out timing wise before, but then to have them come, it was like, okay, finally good. And then, and then, yeah, it was the worst concert experience that I've ever had, but it's funny. Cause I, I balanced that with, with the other time that we saw him, which was the best concert experience that I've ever had. So, um, yeah, it's, but I am not a live music person. It, there, there's a, there's sort of like a, a debate with music aficionados of what I'm not one, but, but they'll be like, well, what's the more true experience of an album? Is it the live version like seeing it live in concert or is it listening to the studio one? Right. Cause even though the studio one is like produced and it's all of the best takes and it's all of the best this and that. Right. Um, it's like you you put it in your ears and you listen to it. Right. Like you get to actually hear everything. Whereas anytime you're in a, you're in a live venue, unless you are lucky enough to get to see somebody play in like a really small venue, like it's for some random reason, right? Like you're, you're really not experiencing the music as much as you're experiencing the performance. So it's a, I don't know, six of one half dozen of the other, I think, but I, I prefer listening to albums. Yeah. I, I, that's, I typically that's do too. Thing. Like uh, I'm still, I mean, I'm, I'm a big San Francisco 49er fan. I, I love that mm-hmm. aspect of the NFL never been to a game and I never really care to because it's like <laughs> I like watching it from the comfort of my home I get great mm-hmm. like I get to see the replays really easily I get to see a great view of the field I'm not surrounded by 50,000 people so much better and that's what yeah. it'll take on a concert too but but that said really like I just remember the old debate like when I first started playing guitar um back in high school which is not long before this album came out <laughs> um you know there was like teenagers do they were like oh you know real a real musician does everything just like just live in the like you know they should be able to do it exactly the same just live and it's like well recording is a is a work of art as well producing an album is a work of art editing an album is a work of art like that's all artistry too and you just have more tools to play with so of course it's going to sound different now if you have a preference from one over the other that's totally valid but like to try to pretend like those other aspects aren't part of the art making is kind of foolish to me. Um, totally. You know, and that's, and I think that's something that John did very well with continuum. It just, he produced this album very well. And mm-hmm. I should have done my homework to look and see if he'd produced his previous albums, but I know from this one forward, he produces every album. Like he's very yeah. much a student of what he learned. I mean, I love Berkeley. Like I didn't go there, but like it's here in Boston. I've got a couple of friends that have gone there. They're such chill people. Like they're awesome. And like the vibe that John Mayer clearly learned from there, like he takes that into the studio as well. Um, So I really like that. Like I think with continuum, what John Mayer is also showing is this beautiful combination of head and heart. Like he, he has this, intelligence to understand how to put music together like as simple as like how to notate a song to also like how to mix it and edit it in the studio like he's very very smart about what he's doing and you put on top of that just this natural god-given talent for making music with guitar like i mean he's he's a musician with the capital m like you know in in every sense of the word and it's just this, this album is a beautiful combination of that, which is why I think it's just so freaking iconic. Yeah, absolutely. 
Um, what what's uh what what track is your favorite track off of the album off of this one? Uh, I like it's such a hard question because I love every track on this album except Bold as Love for different reasons. Sorry, yeah. not to crap on Bold as Love. That again, just if it wasn't on there, it'd be fine. Um, but I gotta say, Belief is my favorite. Um, is it? primarily for i i just love that guitar riff um i love the percussion on it um it, i mean it's just this really cool like little soulful beat and then the way he just plays this guitar scale up the up the fretboard and then right back down i mean it's it's something so simple and yet so freaking cool uh, it's just this, this great combination of, 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 of musical gift. And um, so I, I love it for like every time that song comes on, I, I move my body to it. Like I love music that moves my body. Like that's good music. That's one of the primary purposes of music. Like belief makes my body move because it has such a cool groove to it. Um, and I yeah. love that, you know, I love that guitar riff. Like it's just, it's very, very, very bluesy. Um, and then I love the song even more because it's it's a um, it's a reaction to this made up war in Iraq. Right. That by 2006, like you were saying earlier, Mike, right, like we as a as a society, like had gotten over the the shock of 9-11 and we had been duped into this response of revenge and, you know, bloodshed like it was bullshit <laughs> um and that's yeah. what the song is calling out and what it's really indicting is is and this is something bush did and he's and at least in my lifetime the first to really do this and now it's really gotten out of hand but he really weaponized religion um particularly yeah. evangelical christianity and it became this this force of righteous anger which has never ever been a tenant of christianity ever <laughs> um but um, but this like this movement like really really warped it and on and on the other side of the world, right, you have this beautiful, beautiful religion in Islam that these select few uh, fundamentalists just pervert so horribly that it creates violence. And this song is a reflection yeah. on when you're fighting and just dying for what you believe in, you've already lost. <laughs> like, you're doing it wrong. You know, Mike, for a quick crossover to Star Wars, like this would be a song about the Jedi entering the Clone Wars, right? Like, whoa, yeah, yeah. you're doing it wrong. <laughs> um, you know, it's it's such a great indictment of that. And and I love I love the live version of it on the live album because the way he sings the end of it is is he just has a lot more of a rasp to it. But but kind of these closing lines about, you know, it belief is what puts children in the sand, folded flags in a mother's hand, right? Like it's this reflection yeah. of like we at home in America, we're seeing more and more young men and women coming back from this bullshit war. And it was all for false belief. Um, yeah. So, you know, I, I really, really love that notion. And as, as a college chaplain, like I think about this song all the time and doing some of my work and, and, you know, when, when people start getting so, so caught up in the fundamentals of things that they forget about the compassion at the heart, like it's, it's a problem. And I think this song is a beautiful indictment of that. Yeah, absolutely. It's, I, I found it really interesting listening to it today in light of, of what's going on in the world right now. Right. Mm, uh, yeah. And, and to be intentionally not vague about it, I'm talking about 
what's happening in Palestine. Um, and, and, you know, uh, the, 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 the war, I, people are, refer to it as a war. It's not really a war. Wars usually have multiple sides to them, uh, at least two, uh, as opposed to, you know, what's happening in Palestine right now, which is just, you know, systematic ethnic cleansing and genocide. And then, and then, uh, a response to that, you know, so it's, it's um and and this song the that that idea of belief exactly what you're talking about that um the way that that at this point in time islamophobia was was at such a fever pitch mm-hmm. right that you if you said islam or muslim people just went oh terrorist like like it was just yeah. that it meant the same thing which is just such a perversion of language flat out like because because you know i i equating um terrorist acts with any belief structure uh, especially you know the 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 largest one on the planet um <laughs> i think is just such a it's just such an ignorant way to weaponize people right like you said using evangelical christianity as this way to motivate people to um, to engage in and engage with some pretty pretty terrible stuff that was going on, right? Like so, mm-hmm. like a, like wars that should not have been waged in uh, in regions that we really have no business waging wars in, um, and and uh, very similar stuff is happening today with with what's happening in Palestine with Israel, and it just like the thing about it that sucks the most. It's the, it's the same thing happening there now that was happening here. And, and Canada was a little bit less so, but we were very involved as well. We definitely felt the effects of it, um, uh, of the American politics, of, of weaponizing belief and getting people so riled up. They, they fail to see what's actually happening and you know can dehumanize you know who they, who has been deemed an enemy um and and all of that stuff and it's like it's just in waiting on the world to change he's he's got the the lyrics about like i, I it's one day this generation is going to rule the population but till then we'll keep on waiting and it's like this was 2006 it's 2024. It's, it's it's been a while, guys. That generation that he's talking about is now the generation in charge, and like nothing changes. Like right. it's it, it was a, it was a little bit disheartening for me to listen to those lyrics again, um, because like what I'm seeing online and now, granted, it is also very different now because what I'm seeing online is a lot of people who are very awake to the fact that the media is trying to manipulate what's happening in Israel and Palestine right now and trying to motivate us to align with government ideology. Government ideology is motivated by money and power. That's like, it has nothing to do with humanity. It has nothing to do with compassion, um, which is uh, the stuff that these songs are about, right? These political songs are about. So, and it's the same thing that happened was happening in 2006 with the war in Iraq, right? That was about resources in the Middle East. That was about controlling commerce um, and making sure that they didn't have enough power to control 
American commerce, right? Like that's that's what that was all about. And nine eleven was a was a was an opportunity that was used to get in there. Just like the the Hamas attacks have been a really great excuse for Israel to just like ramp up their entire that entire conflict to to a scale that we haven't seen. I don't think that we've ever seen in our lifetime. Um and so yeah, like I I don't know. It's it's difficult. We get into the political stuff. It's difficult not to get on a soapbox with this, but um it just it just really like while I was listening, it brought that into stark relief of like it's the same thing. It's just the same thing. Like it just keeps repeating itself. So I don't know. Hopefully, hopefully this time around, the public is a little bit more aware and not quite as caught up in it. But I am also seeing a lot of Islamophobia. I'm seeing a, the the thing that people really love right now, which is slightly different, is the like, if you say anything critical, you are an anti-Semite, right? Um, which I, I, I'll just say here on this platform to all hundred of you that will listen to this episode, I I... Israel and Judaism are not the same thing. <laughs> I so having a stance against the government of Israel is a not a stance against the people of Israel because they're not the ones making those decisions. It's 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 a government, um, and, and and the military is not the same thing as the people or the religion. Like these are separate things. So you know I I but that's but that bringing it back into that song into belief. Like that's the whole point is that like they're trying to make us believe that this is um, that this is religiously fueled, right? That this is that this is Islam versus Judaism. And it's not it's these are these are governments fighting, right? And not even really governments fighting because because Palestine has not really been afforded the ability to have a proper government. So you've just got this, this one government entity that's just like enacting these things on these people. And it's, uh, it's, it's could be, the, it couldn't be the furthest thing from, from anything involving belief, but that's the narrative that they want to push is that it's about there. It, it's the whole, my, the point that I'm making is that like, they're trying to do the same thing to us now in 2024 that they were doing in the early 2000s of like if you're not with us you're against us right Hmm. um and it it, i don't know i hope that it's not working i hope that i'm not in an echo chamber i do hope that like the the that the majority of people out there are aware of these facts and they're seeing things from uh the ground like from actual palestinians uh and uh and taking that at face value but it's tough, man. It's tough. This song just like it just it it just brought all of that into such stark relief. So it makes sense to me that it's your favorite. <laughs> like it's it is it's a it's a really really powerful and a really really well written song to be able to like remind me of all of that stuff that I've kind of left in the past. Right, we've all kind of moved on from two thousand and six, I think. But to have it to have it all sort of brought back and then go like, oh man, we're like, we're right there again, aren't we? We're just repeating the same mistakes of the past. It's uh, yeah. Well, I want to say, I think it kind of balancing out the, the, the indictment that is contained in a song like that, um, mm-hmm. in belief. Um, and 
and, and I would argue, you know, it's funny, Mike, you said that when you were listening to Waiting on the World to Change, you're like, oh, man, because you're right. Like, we are that generation now, and it's still the same. So yeah. it's a little disheartening to hear now. But I think I think it's its purpose is still just as valid. The purpose in 2006 mm-hmm. was is saying, like, I still believe that we can get better. Like, that's really what's at the heart yeah. of the song. And, yes, he's a younger person, uh, probably with a little more naivete. But, you know, not everybody has to be jaded Luke Skywalker from Last Jedi. Uh, you know, <laughs> some people are allowed to still be hopeful and, uh, I'm sorry. I don't mean to like, like, whatever. I, I'm not here to talk star Wars, but, uh, but like, that's just an honest uh, opinion about that. And I think, I think a really beautiful, uh, and it's right in the middle of the album is the song, the heart of life. It's really right at the halfway point of the album. Uh, yeah. this really fun song, the heart of life. And, uh, so yeah, here's here's kind of his message in it, and it's so good. Pain throws your hope to the ground. Love turns the whole thing around. No, it won't all come the way it should, but I know the heart of life is good. It's kind of like his, uh, it's his sentiment, you know, it's that same spirit of waiting on the world to change. Like he still believes that the heart of life is good. I love that. Like it's, it's a hopeful message in the midst of a lot of crappy situations. Um, you know, and I think the lyrics are also very personal. I mean, I think there's a lot of songs on this that are, they're heartbreak songs. I mean, so many songs are written about heartbreak as someone who experiences more, far more of it than I would like. <laughs> I get it. It's probably why I always go to these songs. Um, but he's making it he's making it personal, but it's also grander if you want it to be uh, right. Like um, the things in life often don't go the way that we hope. But at the end of the day, heart of life is good. Like it's still good. Yeah. Um, and right. Like right. Contending with the fact, like as you said earlier, Mike, like you and I are two well off white men, just like John. Mm-hmm. Um, he's better off than we are financially. I'm yeah. Um, but that, that, right, but like. Yeah. Like, yes, it's it's always easier for folks like us to to see that brighter side. But I think I think the most content people, though, in the world, like still hold this belief that at the core of life, though, there are more of us that are good than bad. Um, mm-hmm. It's actually a closing sentiment of one of my favorite characters in the Expanse sci-fi series. So it's uh, I mean, I, I say I've actually said this quite a bit lately on on Force Perspectives when we're talking about Star Wars. Um and and sort of you know the the because it seems like every other week we've got a controversy going on over in that fandom some some person trying to manipulate you know and uh and and get people all riled up about something and and i say all the time it's like i truly believe that 99 percent of people on this planet are good people like 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 truly good people like i i think that evil is very very rare and very like few and far between um and it you know uh, unfortunately it, it 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 those people who are truly evil who do have that um that like one percent they also have managed to accumulate a great deal of wealth um not to say that all of the one percent is evil with a capital e but that like the majority of them are right um like the overlap there is almost a circle. The Venn diagram is almost a circle, but like that, the the problem there is that it's like that. It's a disproportionate amount of influence, right? Evil has this disproportionate amount of influence over the world, 
uh, than good, but but only because our minds are sort of tuned to see it that way. And so, like a song like that, it really does a good job of like, I think recalibrating, <laughs> helping us recalibrate and look around. Because I, I say this all the time, like if 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 people were really as bad as a lot of folks want to believe, then like we wouldn't be able to get in our cars and drive around in a city. Right. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like, like we're all bo- like so many of us getting in cars and we're behind the wheels of these things that we could very easily use to just kill. <laughs> right. But, but people don't do that and it doesn't even occur to us. Right. We're just getting from A to B and that's what most people are doing. Most people are just living their lives. Um, but, I, uh, but, but that, that negativity, I know it's, I think just as human beings, I think just out of self-preservation, we have that tendency to, to, to sort of bend back towards that negativity a lot of the time um, and, and blow it out of proportion. It's, it's uh, uh, you and I were talking about, you know, life as a podcaster before we started recording and it's so easy to get into a headspace where it's like, you know, you could have 10 people tell you that your podcast is great. And then one person comes in and says that they hate it and you'll just stew on that for days. Right. Um, like it just, it cuts so much deeper than, than the positive stuff. So um, yeah, I, there, it, there does tend to be a song on every album I find with John Mayer where he's like, he kind of pops in there and goes like, Hey, by the way, things are pretty okay. <laughs> like, uh, but, uh, but again, that is the, that is definitely the perspective of privileged, uh, white man of means, uh, which is probably, I mean, like you said, like that's, that's where we can kind of relate into it. Not everybody's going to, I think that's where John Mayer gets a lot of flack is that like, he is, he is writing songs for, you know, high middle income white guys, <laughs> Uh, and uh, and the and the girls who love them, I uh, I and so yeah, it's a, there's a little bit of there's a there's a, a some rightful flack that I think that he gets for being that guy, but uh, but at the same time, I don't know, we deserve music about us too. I think, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that's we live in life too, right? And having yeah. somebody yeah. who's thought a little bit more deeply about it and can make it rhyme and sing along, like. Yeah, I I like I like taking sometimes the mundanity of life of our everyday experience and and hearing it in in a more operatic fashion, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I'm yeah, I'm, for I'm sure. here for it. Um, yeah, and I really I I really love stop this train. Like that's that's mm. that's probably my favorite track off of this right. album, and that is one of those ones that like. And I think the reason why I like it so much is how much I relate to it. Um, yeah. yeah, there you go. Uh, yeah, I didn't know if you wanted me to play some for a sec. <laughs> yeah. It's very folk. That guitar is very folk. Yeah, it's um and and that is that is the stuff that I like more, right? Like like Born and Race is my favorite sure. album um of his, which which gets into sort of more of that sort of folk and southern rock sort of sort of vibe that he was on for a minute there. Um Real quick, with that uh, and, uh, yeah. I'm just gonna interject. Like, I've always enjoyed this song, but I've come to love this song because uh, the two friends that I went to his concert with, who also yeah. big fans of him, they uh, they listen to this album sometimes at home, and their three year old uh, daughter loves singing along to this. So my buddy sent me a video of him singing it with her, and I just like I fell in love with the song in a whole new way <laughs> when he did that a few weeks back. And I was like, yep, this is now one of my favorite John Mayer songs, just because I love listening to them sing it together. 
Yeah. It's, um, it, I think it hits for me because it's just, it, it's a song about how, um, like life, life just keeps going <laughs> no matter what you're doing. Like, so good or bad, you know, like the ups and downs, it, 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 time keeps going forward. Right. Um, and so there's a point in the song where he's kind of talking about getting older, um, and uh, and then he go- he goes to his dad for some advice, and his dad comes back to him and says, "This is all in the lyrics in the song, right?" He's like, "I I turn sixty eight, you'll renegotiate." Like that just sticks with me so much because it's just like, like you always every everybody thinks of wherever they're at. It's funny. I'm I'm I'll be thirty nine this year. Crystal just turned thirty nine, and I. Uh, uh, so you know it's our it's the last year of our 30s she, she keeps saying it's the last year of my 30s and and we have this tendency to like to want to like put this punctuation on on our lives right whether it's commas or periods or exclamation points but we want to like punctuate it and like break it into these eras um but it's so funny because you talk to people and it's like i'll see people in their 20s posting on social media like on tiktok or whatever it's like oh i'm i'm 29 oh everything's over i'm almost 30 and it's like my 30s have been the best part of my life and going into my 40s i i anticipate that my 40s will probably be even better right like like just as as, because my 30s have been very dominated by raising small children and when i hit my 40s you know i i they'll 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 be starting to get older and a little bit easier to manage in some ways more difficult than others. But, um, I imagine that when I, when I hit my fifties and my sixties, it'll, it'll like that. It'll just keep recalibrating. Right. Like it'll just like, you'll, you'll renegotiate. You'll go like, no, actually I have a lot of life left to live. I have a lot of stuff in front of me. Um, even as you hit midlife, which is where I'm at. And it's like, you know, is there more before you or like, like ahead of you or behind you, right? Like you're sort of doing that, that, that mental math, um, on a daily basis. But, uh, so the song's about that. And when I was younger, I certainly did not care in 2006. I wasn't listening to the song going like, yeah, man, it's real tough. But, uh, but now in, in 2024, I'm like, that's, it's, I, it's, it, it, it I was saying to Crystal actually not that long ago we were listening to it. It it came on in a playlist. And I was like, I have a tough time listening to this song now because of that specific lyric. Hmm. Um, because he's talking to his dad. And hmm. my dad died two years ago. And he was he was sixty seven, sixty six, sixty seven. Can't do that math. I guess sixty six, because he's a he's not old. Yeah. So he was like right at that age and he, so he didn't hit 68, right. He didn't get there. So I listen to that lyric. I hear that. And it's like, like he was just shy of that. So I, it always kind of like puts that into, into, to perspective for me of like, of, of what that can mean. Right. Yeah. Um, which is just sort of like a message of like, just, just, just do what you can right now. Like, like don't stop worrying about, what you've done in the past and your mistakes and stop being stressed out about the future and what's ahead of you. Um, because it's not real, right? Like it's not, it, it, the future hasn't happened yet. Uh, so it's like, it's very much a, a reminder to be present, to live in, in the now. Um, 
which I always appreciate. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great, it's a great, great track. Um, Mike, I want to just talk quickly before we wrap up um, about uh, another song that's obviously super popular off this album, which I just be remiss not to mention with this (laughs) guitar riff. Slow Dancing in a Burning Room, while it's not my favorite on the album, like I said, it was the first one that really was like, oh my God, this is a friggin' unbelievable song. So Mike, I've been playing guitar since I was a sophomore in high school back in 2002. Um, I was a better guitar player in high school than I am today because I was playing a lot more religiously. I was also really into 80s rock, so I was learning a lot of like 80s rock cover. Um, And it's just, you know, it's complicated, fast little music to play. Uh, but as I've gotten older, I just don't have the same amount of time for it. But I still love pulling my acoustic off the wall and just playing a cover. But since hearing this particular song, like I've actually renegotiated my relationship with guitar. Um, I think John would be very proud of that. Like I think he loves that instrument so much. It, it, you can tell on a song like this. Um, and uh, at the end of last year, I'd my goal was to be able to just play that riff and uh, I'm not good at lead guitar, like I said, anymore. And uh, I even watched a video of John Mayer talking about like, again, he, he teaches guitar sometimes over at Berkeley. And one of the things he said is, is like when you're learning a cover, if it's a type of music you don't normally play, rather than just learning how to play the notes, go learn and try to play that style of guitar. So for a song like slow dancing in a burning room, that would mean Carl, go learn how to play some blues scales man, that's a lot of work and I'm too lazy. Hmm. Um, so I'll, I'll own that. But I love that that's really where John even like in, indicates, like don't just mimic the, the notes, like learn how to play that way. Um, and yeah. I think this song is a perfect blues song because the entire message is about being aware that you are in a relationship that's crashing and burning, right? And and you like you don't want it to, but you know that it is. Mike, I think this is a great piece of music to put over the uh, throne, the, the Praetorian fight in Last Jedi, right? Like that's Ray and <laughs> Ray, Ray, th- Ray thinks Ben is back, but then it's like, oh no, we are in fact slow dancing in a burning room. <laughs> so yeah, um, yeah, I I love that song again. Like musically, it's brilliant and beautiful, and like you feel it in your soul with those notes and the way he harmonizes his guitar uh, during the solo. It's incredible, and and then there's also just this really bitter like ending of of a story going on here you know it, it's showing that self-awareness um of of you know recognizing when things just aren't working that doesn't even have to be a romantic relationship right like even friendships sometimes you know uh, i hate when this happens but like when you just notice that a friendship is dying oh you're slow dancing in a burning room right it sucks like it's coming yeah. to an end and this is the tension of that um and he even gives us that with the musical notes so yeah brilliant song i just had to say that Absolutely. Yeah. It's also such a great example of, of, I think white, white, um, actually I don't even think this is like academic. This is, this is what stands out about John Mayer and his guitar playing specifically. Um, there are a lot of people who can play the guitar, who can, who can, you know, hit the notes and they can hit a lot of notes very quickly, uh, which is considered playing a guitar well. Right. Um, 
But what John Mayer does with a guitar is like he makes it sing. Mm-hmm. And that's not like I'm not being poetic when I say that. Like he literally he will he will get the guitar to sing back up while he's singing, right? Like you listen to a lot of his songs and like you were saying, like, like the way that, that he'll harmonize stuff with the guitar. There's, there aren't a lot of guitar players who, who do that. Like it is actually like a very rare thing. Most, most lead guitar is melody and rhythm, right? Like it's, it's, it's sort of like, it's just kind of giving you some background of the song and then the, and then the vocals are white what really carry melody and really carry the song. Um, but like the parts of John Mayer songs that you find yourself humming the most tend to be like his solos his like when he gets the guitar to do that, when he like bends it, right. Like he really just like takes one note and just like, like a piece of Laffy Taffy, just like, just stretches it out as far as possible and with as much sort of texture and nuance to it as, as you can get out of a single note. Um, and that like, again, seeing him do that live is ridiculous. It also, the faces that he makes when he does it, I mean, he gets, he's got some of the most hardcore guitar face, which those who know what guitar face is know what I'm talking about. But next time you see a really, really intense guitar player play guitar, watch them when they get into it, especially in the solo and watch the faces that they make because they will contort in ways that are, um, yeah, unnatural. I, I, but, but I like, my thing is that like the, the, the grosser, the guitar face, like the more ugly and nasty, the guitar face, the better the guitar player, as far as I'm concerned, like that's really one of those things that distinguishes people who are really, really like getting that, that instrument to perform yeah. at the top of its level. Cause it's, it, it's no longer about the human being. It's about just service to this instrument. I, I guitar is my favorite instrument as well. I have no music musical aptitude whatsoever. Uh, other than just, you know, an ear for it, listening to it. Um, but I, I, I can't, I don't know how to read music. I can't play an instrument to save my life, but I, I, but I love, I love the guitar so much. Um, just as an instrument, like if I, if I have to pick something, pull something out, it's like that, a good guitar player is, is worth so much more to me than anything else. Mm. Um, and I mean, like, I don't think that that's an unpopular or, or, you know, weird thing to say. I think a lot of people like guitar if they really, if you ask them to think about it, but, but yeah, that is like, that's what really brings me to John Mayer's stuff over, over other singer songwriters is just like when he gets going, and and this album has a has a few really great spots slow dancing in a burning room is 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 probably the standout for that but man like his later stuff like some of his more recent stuff uh, sob rock is a really great example sob rock has some incredible guitar work on it mm-hmm. like i think that was really that that's why he he dipped into that genre into sort of like that 80s um sort of power ballad genre uh was so that he could just go ham on the guitar with, with some of those, some of those faster moving, like sort of more, more complex uh, riffs and that sort of thing, which is different from this era when he was much more about the, 
about those really extended uh just sort of getting that getting that guitar to just kind of i don't know sing is the only word that i can that i can use for it because he just does that's what it does it just it just holds a note and just goes all over the place with it so good mm-hmm. absolutely awesome uh well i think i think that brings us to the end i just before we before we get out i just want to ask you the question of of exactly what it is for you if you can sum up what makes continuum a perfect 10 album for you i think it's the establishment of somebody as an artist uh this is to me john's standout album um and i I go back and forth all the time on whether it's my favorite but i think there is something particularly unique which is this is where he found his voice and he was ready to start using it um you know i'll make a quick star wars analogy again this is i am a jedi like my father before me it's the sense of coming into yourself and while john has done really awesome things off of this like you said i love that you said stop this train is one of your favorite pieces, not only because of its message, but also it's musically the most similar to Born and Raised, which is very true. Like that's kind of his yeah. his country album, um, like authentic country, not this pop stuff that they call country today. <laughs> um, it, it's it's fine. Like it's pop music, but it's not really country anyway. But like so that makes sense. And there there are other there are different tracks on this album that then become more fleshed out in future albums. But this is kind of this. John Mayer really opening up of like, these are all these different styles that I am aware of that I want to play in. And then he went and made albums that were more similar in sound than Continuum. Continuum is kind of this breaking out of here's who I can be like, and I'm really proud of all this stuff. And at the end of the day, like all the heartbreak songs, it comes to its kind of culmination with these two finale pieces, which is um, in repair and I'll find another you like, He's it's in repair as this beautiful, like mantric, like uh, lyric just being repeated over and over again at the end of the song. Um, oops, that's not it. Right. it's to me it's it's exactly how i feel like i said i've had my heart broken like way more times than i would have liked in the last five years <laughs> um i i mean i wear my heart on my sleeve it's it's easy to break it um but that said i love a song like this because it's it's kind of that final step in the grief process of like i'm not all together but i'm getting there i'm in repair um and then i love how the last song it's it's just tonally even the way that that it sounds musically i'll find another you it's it's really like almost playful and it's this ending note of like, Oh, I'll find something again. Like it, my world has not ended, (laughs) you know? Um, so to me, it's just, it's, it's, it's a perfect album. He has things to say about the world around him and he has things to say about the world within him. And I think they all offer something up and he does it in a very unique musical style that is very much his own that he will continue to then unpack over the next almost 20 years. For sure. Awesome. Well, I think that that's a great summation of it. I I, I think it's a perfect note to end on. Um, bef- oh, before before we go. Hmm, nice pun. <laughs> yeah. I, before we go, where uh, if, if people enjoyed listening to you talk about this, uh, where can they find you on the internet? 
Yeah, well, I won't be talking. Uh, man, I would love to find more opportunities to do stuff like this, Mike. This was super fun. So thanks for uh, thanks for letting me come on and talk about this. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's it. I mean, I do, like I said, a Star Wars podcast, uh, The Wampus Lair, which you can find us here in Thunderquack. Very, very simple to find. Um, and then I promise to be finishing off, I promise within the year, mm-hmm. uh, the Bat and Cat podcast. I started with my friend Amy about a year ago where we're kind of, talking through the matt reeves 2022 the batman film 20 minutes at a time um so we will be finishing that soon it's almost completely out but uh we're gonna finish yeah. it and hopefully bring some new life to that as well awesome uh well i uh that basically does it for this episode just a real quick note for everybody um in february we're going to be doing a thunderquack uh network wide sort of like it's kind of a pledge drive um to get people to to head over to patreon um and i'm just gonna really quickly let you guys know here that there will be bonus content for every podcast that we've got running on the network right now like every active podcast will have some bonus content um that will be patreon exclusive you'll only be able to get it on patreon and um you know what i'm just gonna pull the trigger on it i've been going back and forth about whether or not i'm gonna do this but i'm just gonna i'm just gonna make the decision i'll put it out right here and so everybody's gonna find out i we've been doing perfect 10 for almost two years about a year and a half now um and people ask me a lot of the time when i'm gonna talk about the most obvious perfect 10 of all for me uh and that's that's obviously it's star wars I and so Perfect Ten Star Wars A New Hope will be the Patreon exclusive episode. Um, you'll only be able to get it if you're a Patreon supporter. So you'll have to head over to Patreon.com/slash/Thunderquack and uh, and and pledge your support over there in order to get access to that episode. Um, and that'll be out in February. That'll be out sometime in February. I don't know who I'm going to do that episode with. That's the hardest part for me is like who's the one person that i can single out out of all of my friends to talk about star wars a new hope it is a near impossible task so i have to figure that out but that is what i'm going to do for that episode um we'll have another episode of perfect 10 next month i got a couple of people sort of waiting in the wings and i don't have anybody nailed down yet but i I I don't know. I might check in with Ty and see if she's ready to finish our Heath Ledger trilogy. I I and I I, I cap that one off. But I uh, <clears throat> we'll be back in in about four weeks with another episode of that. In the meantime, uh, you can check out all of the other podcasts on Thunderquack. Uh, Joe and I are doing regular episodes of Force Perspectives now every four weeks. Um, along with we've brought back. I think I think. Well, I guess we would have technically brought it back, but um, but uh, Danielle and I had recorded so far in advance that that it hadn't officially come back yet. So now officially the Thunderquack podcast is back, and that's also Joe and I. Um, every four weeks we we sit down and uh, just talk about geeky stuff. Um, we we needed a place to talk about Ghostbusters, but we didn't want to start a Ghostbusters podcast just for the new movie coming out. So it was like, well, let's bring this back. And uh, uh, it gives us a great place to talk about that, as well as all of the other stupid, geeky stuff we love to talk about. So um, look forward to that in the future. Also, Joe and I want to do Perfect Ten Pokemon Red and Blue uh, uh, in the future. But uh, I don't I don't know when that one will happen. But I'm just going to tease that one right now. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so that's kind of everything on Thunderquack right now. And as Carl mentioned, the Wampus Layer has just joined us on the Thunderquack 
Podcast Network. Um, and we're so, so happy to have you with us now, Carl, uh, you and Jason. Uh, with the Wampus Lair, I've, I keep saying this because it's like, because you, you've been doing the Bat and the Cat. Uh, Jason had done Talking Time Lords with us back, like, that was almost like that when you launched Thunderquack. Yeah. Um, so you guys have both been on the network, but Wampus Lair wasn't part of the network, which is your guys' sort of bread and butter. It's your regular podcast. So to ha- have you guys now part of the network with that podcast uh it just makes me happy i'm just happy <laughs> that you're that you guys are 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 all in and on board so everybody go listen to wampa's layer go listen to to carl and jason talk about star wars it's pretty good you guys it's pretty good it's a pretty good podcast yeah, it's, all, it's all right it's all right we definitely yeah. have fun and that's that's the most important thing awesome uh cool well that's it thanks for listening to Thunderquack perfect 10 thank you carl for joining me uh, if you found joy in today's discussion, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast service and leave a rating and review. And if you want to chat about today's episode, you can head over to our Discord at thunderquack.com slash Discord. Uh, we've got such an awesome community over on the Discord, so join us over there for sure. Uh, but until next time, remember, it's not about the score. It's about the love. Stay geeky, everyone. Thunderquack Perfect 10 is hosted by me, Michael Cohen. Follow us on Twitter at ThunderQuackPod, on Instagram at ThunderQuackPodcast, on Facebook at ThunderQuack, and join us on Discord at ThunderQuack.com Discord. Support the podcast by heading to Patreon.com ThunderQuack to get early access, bonus episodes, and the ThunderQuack Perfect 10 pop quiz. ThunderQuack Perfect 10 is part of the ThunderQuack Podcast Network. Thanks for listening.